tonight I want to share a story with you. Not just any story, but the story of one week in someone's life. A very significant week. It's the final week of Jesus' life as he prepared to go to the cross when he died and was raised from the dead. One week. Five key events in this one week. We're going to walk through this one week starting with Palm Sunday and finishing with Easter Sunday. Today, the celebration that we give of the resurrection of Jesus. One week. It's not that long, is it? If you're 15 years old, any 15-year-old people here? No? Some of us? Oh, yep. Oh, Eva, you've had at least 781 weeks. If Jesus, we think he was about 33 years old by this time, he'd already had at least 1,716 one weeks. But this one week was different. This one week would change the world. Five key events. Jesus did a whole lot more and said a whole lot more during that important week, but we're going to focus on these five events. And they're like the fingers of our hands. Each event, God at work to reach out and grab us. We need all five fingers to grab hold of something, don't we? And God used these five events to reach out, to grab you, to grab me, to grab this world. Now, this morning, during the worship time, it was a powerful time, wasn't it? The sense of God's Spirit was here, and I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me and say, there is breakthrough coming in this church. There is breakthrough on its way. Look out, people, get ready to do business with God, because God is going to break chains. He's going to transform people. He's going to bring breakthrough in this place, in your life, if you're willing, in your life, and you'll see life and transformation in your family, in your friends, in your workplace, and everywhere where your feet tread, breakthrough is on its way. And we need to get ready. We need to get ready for that. Several years ago, I was in New York, and I was walking around, and there's lots of billboards in New York, and there was one that particularly struck me. It just arrested me. It was a, it was a photo of a, an, an older lady, it was all soft focus, and she had her pearls and a, and a rose in her hand. And it had a quote, and it had, love, mother. So I knew she was a mum, and actually it was around Mother's Day. And this quote on this billboard said, I did not go, and you have to say it in kind of the sassy American accent, don't you? I did not go nine months. It's a bit of a southern accent, sorry. That's the only American accent I can do. I did not go nine months without Chardonnay for you to hate your job. <laughs> Turned out it wasn't a Mother's Day ad. It was a job for a, like an ad agency, a, a job agency. <laughs> but it just struck me. It just it kind of tickled my sense of humor. Um, And I kind of thought, I'm not a mum, but I thought, if I was a mum, I would milk this line for sure. I did not go nine months without camembert cheese for you to (laughs) sit around. (laughs) I did not go every, you know, Christmas without prawns for you, you know. I'm sure you can come up with lots of forbidden food that, you know, pregnant mums can't have to fill it in. But I thought, what if Jesus had a billboard? I did not come down from heaven. Jesus doesn't have an American accent, so I won't do it. I did not, sorry, <laughs> I did not come down from heaven 
and die on the cross for you so you could hate your job. We all have a job, actually. Whether you're employed and earn a salary or wage or not, we all have a job. Because humans were given a job at creation. Genesis 1 and 2 tells us how God gave creation, he gave humans the stewardship of creation. He said, he put his image, he said, you are made in my image. Male and female, made in the image of God. To look after the world, to be image bearers, so that the world would know what God looks like when they look at us. The way we live, the, way, the creativity that we have is meant to mirror God. The intelligence we have is meant to mirror God. Uh, the way we treat one another is meant to mirror God. That is our job, every single one of us. But in that garden, humanity said, no thanks. I don't want you to be king of my life. I want to be king. And the king that I want to be is one, a king who just has it all. And I don't care if that hurts other people. I don't care if it hurts creation. I don't care because I want it all. Matthew chapters 21 to 28 tell the story of these five key events, beginning with Palm Sunday. It was the day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem. Now, Jesus traveled back and forth from Jerusalem all the time, but this day was different. It's in this last week, this one week, one of the five key events. Now, normally Jesus would walk into the city, but this day he he rode in on a donkey. And that's significant for two main reasons, and both Reasons make a statement about who Jesus is. Because if we want to know our true vocation, we've got to know the one who gave that vocation to us, the job of being humanity. We've got to know what that looks like, and we can only know what that looks like when we look at the life of Jesus. Each of us have a calling. Each of us have a job. We see that Jesus rode into Jerusalem, and it tells us in Matthew 21... Verses 7 to 11. They led the donkey and the colt out, laid some of their clothes on them, and Jesus mounted. Nearly all the people in the crowd threw their garments down on the road, giving him a royal welcome. Others cut branches from the trees and threw them down as a welcome mat. Crowds went ahead and crowds followed, all of them calling out, Hosanna to David's son. Blessed is he who comes in God's name. Hosanna in the highest. As he made his entrance into Jerusalem, the whole city was shaken. Unnerved people were asking, what's going on here? Who is this? And the parade crowd answered, this is the prophet Jesus, the one from Nazareth in Galilee. They got it right that it was Jesus, but what they didn't realize was that Jesus was entering that city as the king. He was called David's son. There was a literal David, King David, in the history of Israel, the most celebrated king, and he had a son called Solomon. And when Solomon was being coronated, when he was being made king, he did a very unusual act, and he entered that city on a donkey. 
And Jesus was entering that city on a donkey to declare that he is the true David's son. He is the true king. And he entered that city. He came down from the east, from the Mount of Olives, entering that city riding a donkey. And that tells us something about this king that we serve, the one that we are image bearers of, the one who we're meant to look like, the one who we were made to be like and to mirror and to shine like. It tells us that he's humble. It tells us that he's loving. He didn't make the people follow him. They celebrated with joy and voluntary uh, shouts. They laid down symbols of creation uh, as he walked into Jerusalem to honour him as the true, what they didn't realise, the true king. History tells us another ruler entered Jerusalem, most likely that day. It was because it was close to Passover, which was the biggest Jewish festival of the year. It was a time when if you were rebellious against this Roman occupying force, you would stage a rebellion. And so they bought, the Romans brought in extra security during this time. And not only that, the governor, the representative of Caesar, also entered the city from the west with an armed guard on a war horse strutting in to suppress anyone who would dissent. Anyone with a hint of rebellion, hint of independence, they would crush with force. So that was the alternative. The true king entering on a donkey, entering with joy, entering to give, ready to give his life. Or the Romans entering on a war horse, ready to crush, ready to dominate, instilling fear in the lives of people, instilling fear to make sure no one pokes their head up, controlling, violent. You know, when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't just die to deliver us from something. He, all, he did that. He died to deliver us from death, the sin all these things that, in a sense, the Roman army signified, the control that we fear, the fear that we feel, the sense of being trapped sometimes, of wanting to break free but we don't know how or what that is like, the sense of having no purpose because our, we've already been told what our purpose is. See, God didn't just save us from that. He did. But he also saved us to something and that's to live a life of purpose. That's to live a life, as Pastor Jack was talking this morning, the resurrection life. That the resurrection life of Christ would flow through us. Because we're called for a purpose. We have a job. And that's to mirror our creator. That's to mirror, and our creator is humble, giving, loving, kind. That's our job. So event Number one. Now, Matthew tells us that Jesus did a whole lot of other things during that time, um, including teaching. He was busy telling people how to live right with God. He was, uh, the, the rich were setting up all these um, you know, blockages for people with disabilities. He was clearing the tables to make sure people had access to the temple, all these different things. And the religious leaders and the elite did not like him. He was popular, not that that's you know, the be-all and end-all, but because he was kind. 
because people identified in him hope. And the religious leaders hated him because he exposed their hypocrisy. And they plotted to have him arrested. They wanted to get rid of him. And one night when Jesus was having dinner, a woman uh, broke expensive perfume on his feet, declaring, and Jesus declared, this is, I'm getting ready for my burial. Which tells us Jesus knew exactly what he was doing in these five key events. He knew he was going to the cross. And he did it out of love. It wasn't the Romans that put him there. It wasn't the Jewish leaders, the religious elite that put him there. It was his love for you and me. One of his best friends agreed to betray him. The Judas asked the religious leaders for money uh, that he would then kind of hand over Jesus to them. Which brings us to the second key event, Maundy Thursday, the Passover meal, the most important event in the Jewish calendar, and it was a celebration of the Israelites being delivered and rescued out of Egypt. It was a celebration of what God had done in the past, and it was called the Passover because, in, and you might have seen from the Prince of Egypt movie, you know, uh, we see that the, what it was called Passover because the people would put a blood of the lamb on their, their doorpost, And then the angel of death would go past and all that had the blood of the lamb marking their house was saved. And so it's, but the Passover celebration wasn't just about being rescued out of Egypt, although it was, that was important. But it was also about being rescued out of Egypt so they could worship God. Because while ever they were in the slavery of Egypt, in the slavery to Pharaoh, they were not free to worship God. They were not free to fulfill their purpose, their vocation, their job of being people who truly mirrored the life of their, of their creator. And so we see that this Passover meal was an important one in the, in the culture and in the history of the Jewish people. And so Jesus ate this Passover meal together with, the, with his disciples to celebrate this great act of redemption. But Jesus gave it new meaning. Because his Passover meal was not just about an event in the past of what God did hundreds of you know, years ago. It wasn't just about God delivering one group of people for one time, delivering the Israelites out of Egypt. It was going to take on new meaning that this new event of the Passover would point to Jesus, who is the Lamb, and his blood would set us free from the slavery of sin so that we could be free to worship God, so that we could be free as the new creation to live our life of purpose that he's called us to live. And so Jesus gives on this second event new meaning to what this Passover meal was about In Matthew 26, he says, During the meal, Jesus took and blessed the bread. He broke it and gave it to his disciples. Take, eat, this is my body. And Jesus was holding up a piece of bread and he tore it. He said, this is what's going to happen to my body on that cross. Again, it wasn't the Roman rulers that put Jesus on that cross Jesus went there. He he willingly went knowing his body would be broken for each one of us. He then held up a cup and he told them to drink it, saying that he is the lamb that shed the blood. He is the lamb. 
the, the land that the Israelites put on their doorpost was a pointer. It was a symbol. It pointed to the greater work that Jesus Christ would do, that he is the sacrificial, the Passover lamb, that he would die so that each of us may live, that we may be saved. Taking the cup and thanking God, he gave it to them. And he said, drink this, all of you. This is my blood in the next verse. God's new covenant poured out for many people for the forgiveness of sins. He said, I'll not be drinking wine from this cup again until that new day when I'll drink it with you in the kingdom of my Father. And Jesus is referring to uh, the resurrection life. He's referring to his second coming when he will come again. And we see there's a gap between Jesus' first time here on earth, his death, his resurrection, and then he goes to heaven, he says, I'm coming back, I'm coming back, and he will come back in the future, but we've got a gap, we've got a gap in time, and Jesus says, while you're waiting, until I come, I want you to be my disciples, I want you to live in your full vocation as the people of God, I want you to live uh, for your original purpose of being the people who shine the light of the creator and shine the light of the creator who came to earth and died for us and shows us what a true human looks like. After they finished eating, Jesus and the disciples, they walked to the Mount of Olives, to another garden, a garden called Gethsemane. Jesus needed to, to pray. He needed to be alone The disciples fell asleep while he was praying. But Jesus prayed knowing what was ahead of him. And he said, despite the excruciating death he knew that he would face, he prayed to the Father, your will be done. If only back in that garden in Genesis, humanity had said, your will be done. Because that's our purpose. That's our vocation. In the garden in Genesis, the humanity rejected that role. They said, we want to be king. We want to be like the Romans. We want to march in and we want to have control over other people. We want people to look up to us. We want people to, uh, you know, bow down to us, you know, on Instagram. We want people to think that we're awesome. We want people to fear us and want to be like us. That's what we want to be like. My will be done, they said in the garden. Not yours, my will be done. And here in another garden, Jesus says, Father, your will be done. He shows us the true vocation. He shows us what it truly means to be human, what we are called to do, not just be saved from hell, but to live a life of purpose and hope, a life that's found within the definition of who God created us to be, not trying to lord it over others, not trying to be puffed up with self-importance, but to live our lives like our humble servant king who gave his life. While he was there in the garden, his friend, his disciple, Judas, came with the religious leaders They were armed with weapons, ready to arrest Jesus. Their jealousy and spite led them to violence. And for Judas, for greed. But while they intended it for evil, God intended it for good. Judas had arranged a sign. He said, well, you may not know who Jesus is, but 
I'll let you know. I'll walk up and I'll give him a kiss. And so that's what Judas did. He betrayed Jesus with a sign of friendship. And they brought Jesus before the religious authorities for a fake trial, a kangaroo court. His disciples had scattered and fled. But the religious leaders, they brought forth all sorts of false accusations of blasphemy. They paid false witnesses to come in and tell lies because they had already decided the outcome. They wanted Jesus eliminated. They taunted Jesus, but Jesus didn't answer them. None of their false accusations, their charges could stick because Jesus was innocent. Even Pilate, who they took the next day, saw that Jesus was innocent. Which leads us to the third, third, third key event, Good Friday, the day that Jesus was crucified. The Roman governor, who had marched in on his war horse, questioned Jesus, but saw nothing wrong in him. But it was the Passover festival, and the, and the Romans had a tradition they would release one prisoner each at that time. He asked the crowd, who should I release? And the religious leaders had stirred up the crowd. Barabbas. What about Jesus? Pilate said. Crucify him, said the crowd. And so the Roman soldiers took Jesus, they stripped him and they beat him and they mocked him as a pretend king. They put a royal robe on him and a crown of thorns they squashed on his head Little did they know he really was and is the king. And then those Roman soldiers led Jesus out to be crucified. Now, crucifixion is thankfully not practiced today, well, certainly in our country, but there were a Roman practice and it was a violent practice. Again, it was to show control. If you mess with Rome, here is this object lesson of what will become of you. You will be nailed onto a wooden cross and you would be left to die of dehydration, asphyxiation. The birds, the the vultures and the crows will come and peck at you and you'll be lined up along the road and you'll be shamed and you'll be mocked. So no one try and rebel against Rome. Stay fearful, stay in your bondage and fear of Rome because if you try and break through, if you try and break the chains... This is what will become of you. And they would control the people through this practice of crucifixion. Actually, by the time of 70 AD, when the, um, you know, there was a rebellion, uh, Titus, the governor at the time, there were so many crucifixions in Jerusalem, they ran out of wood. So that afternoon, the soldiers nailed Jesus to a cross outside the city walls for everyone to see. There were two bandits who were crucified with him and the sign above Jesus' head, this is Jesus, King of the Jews. Jesus' crucifixion exposes the dark side of humanity, that we would do this to another person. And if you think, well, I wasn't there, I'm not a Roman soldier, I wasn't on that cross, well, our sins put him on that cross. We did that and it was out of love that he stayed on that cross as a sacrifice. Matthew also says, and when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. And at that moment, the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs 
broke open. God didn't just save us to deliver us from hell. He saved us that we can have life, that we can have relationship with him, that we can know the love of our Father God, that we can know the acceptance. We're not, God's not trying to control us like the Romans on the war horse. He's gently entering the city on a donkey, humbling, showing, reaching out to these five key events to hold out his hand And he says, my hand is not too short to save you. My hand is here. Take hold of it. By 3 p.m. that Friday evening, Jesus had died and the world was never the same again. That temple was torn in two and the full making reparation for that full relationship with God to be restored so that our original purpose in Genesis 1 could be restored. And even the Roman centurion at the cross said, truly this man is God's son. We know that uh, Jesus then was, was buried in the tomb, which leads us to the fourth day, the Saturday. The religious leaders were still obsessed with their hate of Jesus. So they went to Pilate and they said, those disciples of Jesus, they, you know, well, Jesus, he'd, he'd said he was going to rise again after three days. So we're a bit worried those disciples of Jesus will come and steal his body and that they'll pretend that he rose again. And so Pilate agreed for an armed guard of Roman soldiers to seal the tomb. But that's not the end of the story. Day five, fifth event, I should say. Matthew tells us that Jesus' mother Mary and Mary Magdalene rose early on that first day of the week. Remember, Jewish Sabbath is on the Saturday. The first day of creation, the first day of the new week, they arrived. And then God came and rolled back that stone. In fact, an angel of the Lord, I should say, came and rolled back that stone and he sat on it. And the Roman soldiers that were there, these hardened, battle-weary, violent men, shook in fear for their lives and ran away. But the angel spoke to the women and said, There is nothing to fear, nothing to fear here. I know you're looking for Jesus, the one they nailed to the cross. He is not here. He was raised, just as he said. Come and look at the place where he was placed. And he tells them to go on their way and to spread the message, tell the message here and far. You know, those women were considered nothing in Roman and Jewish society. A woman could not even give a testimony, a legal testimony in court in those days. Those women were seen like nothing. We might feel we're little, we're nothing, we're not important. We might think our esteem of ourselves might be so low we can hardly get off the ground. But God didn't deliver us from hell and death and sin so we could just maintain our little life. He, he saved us so we can run to him. He reached out his hand in these five events because we see that Easter Sunday, Jesus rose from the dead. He conquered all of those things that are left behind and he said, I'm giving you new life. I'm giving you new hope. I'm giving you a new purpose, which is to mirror me to honour me with your lives, to live your life so that other lives are saved as well because they see Christ in you. Matthew 28 says, God authorised and commanded me to commission you. Go out and train everyone you meet. 
far and near in this way of life, marking them by baptism in the threefold name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and instruct them the practice of all I have commanded you, and I will be with you as you do this day after day after day, right up to the end of the age. God didn't just deliver us from sin, from death, and hell. He delivered us for something. And tonight, I believe that God actually wants to do a breakthrough. This morning, he started it. He's continuing it tonight. And what we're going to do is that the band comes and they sing. Um, I want, if you are saying, I need to do business with God. I, have, I need to know my purpose. I'm making a stand because I am desperate for a breakthrough. I need a breakthrough. God's doing something and stirring something in this church and I want to be a part of it. I want to step forward and I want to put up my hand and say, no more. I'm not going to be intimidated by what the world thinks I should do, what the world thinks I should be and act. I'm not going to be intimidated by fear. I'm not going to live my life as a little person anymore. I'm going to instead embrace the life, the humility, the hope, the future, the gift that Jesus offers us. You may have been a Christian for many years and you may have seen a whole lot of things, but if you're saying, I want to make the stand, I want this breakthrough, and I want us to be part of what God is doing in this church and what God is doing in this now moment, then as we sing, I want you to just come forward. We're not gonna, I'm not going to ask anyone to pray for you, but I want if you are hungry for God, if you are hungry for the resurrection life of what God has called us to be and to do, made in His image, being people who are covenant people, people who are resurrection people, then I want you to come forward uh, as we sing this song and just say, here I am. Here I am, God. I want chains broken. I want to set, be set free and I want to make a stand. I'm with you.